Heavenly Father, Jesus is all we have. We have no particular skills, no particular wisdom, no particular brilliance to bring to the table. As a matter of fact, all that we do have, you have given to us. But the one promise that all of us as Christians hold on to the death is that Christ has told us that he will be with us always. He will be with us as we raise our children. And he will be with us as we go to work with pagans. And he will be with us as we endure persecution. And he will be with us as we accomplish his mission. And we work in his church. And we work for his glory. He tells us he will be with us. And Father, that is sufficient for us. That is sufficient. Because we know that in Christ, we can search and search and search and never find the ends of his grace. This morning, would you let us see that better? This morning, would you let us understand that more clearly? Would you let us experience that more deeply? Father, now as we enter into a time of spiritual war through preaching, I pray that Satan would not have any influence here, but instead the Spirit would move among your people, move through your preached word into the hearts of your people, and that there he would convict and draw and work and heal. We are anxious to see what you do now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our work as a church is a great work. Our work as a church is a work that could not be of a greater magnitude. Our work as a church, our work as Christians is a work that we will not even be able to fully wrap our minds around and understand this side of eternity. Last week we talked a lot about Christian work ethic and about how Christ is the standard for Christian work ethic. And that as Christians, we go and go and go because we are responsible in going, but we persevere in our going knowing that God is sufficient and God is in control of the harvest. This morning, what I want you to understand is that our work ethic, our going, is not busy work. That God did not save us. And God did not call us. And God did not arrange us in the church, in the body, for the sake of busy work. God's goal in the Great Commission is not to give you something else for your calendar. It is not to add something else to your day planner. It is not to fill up your iCal. No. The work that God has called you to, the work that God has saved us for, is a work of great magnitude and great importance and great urgency. I think we see this best when we think about what all is at stake for us. What all is at stake for us as Christians? What all is at stake for us as a church family? You see, at stake in the work that we're going to do here at Iron City, the work that we have been called to by Christ, At stake is whether or not the children of our community and even the children in our homes are going to go to hell. 
at stake is whether or not teenagers are going to throw themselves headlong into rebellion, headlong into the things of the world, headlong into the secular culture, or headlong into the gracious, abiding, receiving arms of Christ. At stake is whether or not orphans are going to be adopted. Addicts are going to be delivered. And the depressed to find hope. The stakes could not be higher this morning, brothers and sisters. And what I want you to understand, and what I want you to wrap your mind around and open your heart to, is that God has called you to this great work at this very time in all of human history. And it is not busy work, not one second of it. This morning we are going to see how Christ has organized his body, has organized us as Christians to come together for the accomplishment of this great work. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you'd stand with me as we read God's word together. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to read verses 12 through 20. God's word says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the first 11 verses, Paul is talking about the equipping of the Christians with the Spirit. That the Spirit comes and dwells in Christians at the moment of salvation as we see beginning at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And when the Spirit begins to dwell in Christians that when he comes he apportions to each Christian a number of gifts or at least a specific gift. And that he apportions as verse 11 says he apportions as he sees fit. In other words, according to the sovereign wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he gives Christians the gifts that he gives them. He equips the church the way that he equips it. And so Paul, understanding that, begins to move into a discussion of the church. He begins to move into a discussion of the body of Christ, as he calls it. And he moves in, and as he's talking about the church, the way that he describes it is really quite simple and easy and straightforward for us to understand. He says if we were to come and to think about the church, the way that we should think about it is to think of Christ as being the head. What is the head? The head is that which gives the body mission, isn't it? The head is which gives the body the the commands to carry out. The body is at the call of the head. The body is carrying out in its limbs, in its members, the wishes of the mind, the wishes of the head. And so he says Christ is the head. 
And Christians are the body. The church is the body. That we are the many members carrying out, living under the headship of Christ. Living under the command of Christ. Living out the wishes of Christ and the mission of Christ. That we are the many members in the body that Christ uses to accomplish his work. And just as a body is quite diverse, if you were to take a look at your body, you would see that You don't have a whole bunch of hands and no legs. You don't have a whole bunch of feet and no eyes. No, your body is made up of a collection of members, of diverse members. And they all look quite different from one another. And they all serve a purpose to accomplish something quite different. So they have different roles, and they have different responsibilities, and they have different appearance. And some seem to be more glamorous than others, and some seem to be more modest than others. But they're all important. They're all needed if the body is going to thrive, if the person is going to thrive. Every member in all of their diversity are needed to come together for that purpose. Under the headship of the mind, under the command of the mind, carrying out the wishes of the mind. And what Paul is saying is that the church functions that way. That all of us come from different backgrounds, and we've got different stories, and frankly, we've got different baggage, and we've got different issues, and we've got different gifts, and we've got different skills, and different life experiences, and different levels of wisdom, and different levels of, of uh, just various trial and turmoil, and just all of these things. And so we all come from different Background: Some rich and some poor and some white and some black and some young and some old and some really, really gifted and some less gifted. And we all come together under the headship of Christ, joined together as his body for the accomplishment of his wishes. For the accomplishment of the mission that our head, Christ, has given to us. Now have you thought about this very much? It's an incredible thought when you consider that Christ has decided to accomplish his mission through us. That God could have built his kingdom in any way that he chose. God could have built his kingdom with anything that he chose to build it with. But God chose to build his kingdom through you and through me. With all of our mess ups. With all of our inadequacies, with all of our insufficiencies, with all of our unfaithfulness, with all of our sinfulness, with all of our rebellion, God looks at us and he says, I choose to build my kingdom with you. And Ephesians tells us in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 4, that he chose to build it this way before the foundation of the earth. That you are not the plan B of God, you are the plan A of God. God always intended to send Christ, and God always intended through Christ to raise up for himself a church through which he would build his kingdom and demonstrate his mercy and demonstrate his grace. You are the plan A of God. Now that should be a humbling thought. That should be a remarkable thought, because not one of you are worthy of it. Not one of us is worthy of such a call on our lives. Not one of us is worth such, worthy of such a responsibility given to us. Not one of us is worthy of such grace that has been poured out over us. You see, for Jesus to call us to be in his church is to say that he willingly and forever wants to be identified with us. Now think about that. Jesus looked at you in your lowest moment. Jesus knows the thoughts that you've thought that would disgust the rest of us. 
Jesus knows your secret sin and your public sin. Jesus knows how often your heart wanders from him. He knows how often your mind doubts him. And yet he looked at you and what did he say? I want to be identified with them forever. That at my table, I want them there always. Always. There's no end to that, all right? Now, you've ever had relatives, maybe that that mother-in-law that comes over and you just kind of wish they'd just kind of get out of there, right? You're kind of glad that they come and then you're really glad when they leave. Jesus doesn't see us that way. Jesus doesn't see us that way. Was that my mom and dad? (laughs) No, Jesus has invited us to his table. And he is excited and thrilled to let us experience that table with him forever. In all of our diversity, with all of our stuff, in all of our baggage. Brothers and sisters, to be a called to be a part of the church, to be called to serve through the church and work through the church is not burdensome. To be called to be a part of a church and work in a church and work for the kingdom of God is not an obligation. It is a blessing of grace, an opportunity for joy, a gift to us from God. We've got to change our thinking. There is no such thing as sacrificial Christian service because sacrifice means that I'm giving and never getting back. Jesus says if you give, I'm going to give back forever a thousandfold. We don't serve in the church with a spirit of sacrifice. We don't serve in the church with an understanding of scarcity. We serve in the church through an opportunity to experience grace and to know it better and to know it more deeply and to explore Christ and to see him as ways that we've never seen him before. So he's explaining to us the nature of the church and describing to us the intention of the church. And he then moves into verse, when he moves into verse 13, he begins to talk about the unity of the church. This was a big deal in Corinth. He says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So as Paul moves into this conversation about how these very diverse members, all of this variety of members are to come together under the head, he says we are to come together as the body does in oneness with one another, in unity with one another. And to explain that to us, he talks about that common experience that all of us have in salvation. How are we saved? We are saved because the Spirit of God comes to each one of us and he convicts us. The Spirit of God is not discriminatory. He doesn't look at the race on your, of your skin. He doesn't look at who your mama and daddy were. He doesn't look at what your sin is. He goes through all of that to your heart. And he convicts the man past all of those barriers of socioeconomic levels. And all of those barriers of uh, political prowess. And, all of the, and he goes through all of that to the heart of the man. And he convicts you of your sin. And he draws you to the Father, doesn't he? He draws you and says, you are a sinner. You are broken. You need to be forgiven. And forgiveness is offered to you, so come. Come. You have no ability in and of yourself to long for God. Romans 3 says this. No one is seeking. Nobody. But the Spirit comes and he draws us. And he causes us to begin seeking. And the scriptures say that when we seek, we will find, as Jeremiah tells us. 
And so the Spirit comes into our life, all of us as believers, going through all of those divisions, and he brings us to the Father. And as he brings us to the Father, not only does he unite us with Christ, he then unites us with one another. Unites us with one another. With a common experience of the Spirit. With a common experience of grace. Bringing us together under one roof. Bringing us together under one head. That being Christ. Now this is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing to consider how we are all coming together. And this is what he says is demonstrated in baptism. This is the picture of baptism. You know, we don't have one baptism for young people and one baptism for old people, do we? We don't have one baptism for, uh, for rich people and one baptism for poor people. We don't have a Jew baptism and a, Greek, uh, and a Greek baptism. We don't have a slave baptism and a master baptism. No, there is one baptism. Because when we go into the water, what are we demonstrating? We are de- demonstrating the destruction of our own autonomy. We are demonstrating the destruction of all of those old things that used to define us. Used to, I was defined as a Jew. Used to, I was defined as a Greek. Used to, I was defined as a slave or as a master, but not anymore. I have put all of that to death in Christ. I have buried that. And as we go under the water, that's the picture. And when we come out of the water, what are we demonstrating? I have been made new in Christ Jesus. It's no longer me living according to my own autonomous desires and ambitions. Instead, I live under the headship of Christ. And when we live under the headship of Christ, that brings us into unity with all of the others that live under the headship of Christ. And so we are all brought together by Christ to be this beautifully, powerfully diverse body of believers that comes together. And yet we are still so unified because of the work of the Spirit in us. Wherever there are divisions, there must be a lack of being Spirit-filled. Must be. Because it is the Spirit that brings us together. And it is the Spirit that unites us. And if we as Iron City, though we, have, we are different and though we will at times have our differences, though because if we are living lives that are filled with the Spirit, we will always find common ground and common grace in Christ and be able to come together for a great work and for His glory. And so what Paul is now saying is he's, he's set up his argument, right? He, he has laid the foundation of his argument and letting us know, all right, this is who the church is. This is how the church was made. This is how the church comes together. And now as we move into verse 14, he begins to move us into the broader argument. And I think as we move into the broader argument, the first thing that we, there's the first two things that we need to see are two decisions that we don't have to make. Two decisions that aren't ours to make. Two decisions that aren't, it's not our privilege or even our responsibility to make. Now there's one sense in which when we hear that, that's relieving. We don't have to make that decision. But there's another sense in which we, when we hear that there's a decision that we don't get to make, that we are reminded that we aren't autonomous, that we aren't in control over our lives. Instead, we are functioning beneath the authority of another head. The first one, if you'll look with me in verse, 14, or verse 15, it says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So here's what the argument that Paul is making is. You don't get to choose whether or not you're a member of the church. You don't get to choose. That's, that's not a decision for you to make. 
Now, Christians seem to believe now that they have that decision. Christians, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the church. I believe that Jesus is good, but the church is bad. I am really good at worshiping Jesus in my recliner or in my tree stand or on the eighth hole of the golf course. But I, so I'm really into Jesus, but I'm just not into the church. What would Paul say to you? That's crazy. You're making a decision that you don't have. Does the foot look at the body and say, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm not a member of the church. I'm not a member of the body. Well, no. A, hand, a foot doesn't have that kind of authority. A foot doesn't have that kind of leverage. A foot isn't given that type of, of opportunity. And so we hear the argument that the foot is making, and Paul is doing this on purpose. We hear the argument that the foot is making, and we think that's preposterous. That's not even a sound argument. That doesn't even make any sense. What would happen if the foot indeed got its way? What if the foot looked at the hand and it said, because I do not have the pointing power, because I do not have the grasping ability, because I can't be expressive when the preacher's talking and do all this stuff like I do, then I'm just not going to be a part of the body. And I'm going to break myself away from the body and I'm going to go and I'm going to watch Charles Stanley on TV. Now, what would happen to the foot? The foot would cease to be. The foot would not only lose its life because it would wither and die detached from the body, but at the very same time, it would lose its identity. It would lose its purpose in life. The foot exists for the purpose of walking. The foot exists for the, to the service of the head, to the service of the body. If the foot were to break away from the body, it would lose its identity. It would lose its purpose. It would wither and die. Christians, it's the same for us. It's the same for us. If we, believe, if we look at other people in the church and say, man, I, I can't really teach that way. Or I, don't really, I can't preach like that. Or I don't sing well. Or I can't do this. Or I can't do that. Or I'm not a hand. I'm not the mouth. So I'm just going to chill at home. Nobody's even going to miss me. It's not only to the detriment of the church, but it is to your own detriment. You will wither and die detached from the church. You will wither and die detached from the body. You will lose a significant portion of your identity in Christ. You will lose your ability to fulfill your purpose in Christ. And the working and the building of his kingdom and the building of his church to the ends of the earth. Turn with me to John 15. I think we can see this even clearer. John chapter 15. We'll read the first eight verses. In John chapter 15, we pick up on a very important discourse uh, in the ministry of Jesus. When he's revealing so much about his identity, so much about who he is. And he says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now it's a very similar picture to what Paul is painting, isn't it? Paul paints the picture of a head with the body. That if you were to detach the body from the head, the body would cease to be. Christ paints the picture of himself and his disciples as a vine and branches. As long as the branch is connected to the vine, the branch grows and it gets bigger and it gets stronger and it gets more mature and it becomes more fruitful. This is the picture of how it is to be with Christ. That the longer that we are connected to the vine, the longer we are connected to Christ, that the branch, that we as a branch should become bigger and stronger and more mature and more fruitful in our faith. But If the branch is detached from the vine, if the branch is not connected to the vine, the branch will wither and the branch will die. And Jesus says they will be gathered and thrown into the fire. The imagery is quite clear. That anyone who claims to be connected to the vine but is not connected to the vine, anyone who claims to be a branch but instead has no fruitfulness, is not growing as a branch, is not maturing as a branch, is not in fact connected to the branch to the vine at all. And it will be thrown into the fire. That you should be able to look at the fruitfulness of your life and know whether or not you are a believer in Christ. That if you are truly a disciple of Christ, you will be connected to the vine, growing in Christ, being fruitful in Christ, serving in Christ. And he says, this is how you glorify my Father. You glorify my Father by being fruitful. Now, here's how I think these two passages are so interconnected. What did Paul say? Paul says that we are a body, we are one of the members that connects to the body in the head, right? That connected to the head, that we are accomplishing the mission. That we can't look and say, you know, I'm not a, a hand, so I'm not going to do that. Jesus says that we are a branch connected, and that being a connected branch shows whether or not we are truly a disciple of Christ. Here's how I think we can connect these two passages. We demonstrate our attachment to the vine through our connection to the body. We demonstrate our attachment to Christ, to the vine, through being fruitful in the body. Through being fruitful in the church. Through being fruitful in the achievement of the Great Commission. Being fruitful in making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We demonstrate whether or not we are growing in Christ. Whether in fact we know Christ at all. By whether or not we are connected into the body and being fruitful to the glory of the Father. I say all that to say this. It's not, this is not an option for us, any of us. You're on the fence about whether or not you should be connected to the church, whether or not you should be involved in the church, whether or not the church is a big deal. I know that there's blogs aplenty out there that tell you the lie that you can be walking with Jesus and not be connected to the church. But Jesus says if you are a, vi- a branch connected to the vine, you will be fruitful. How many of you have been fruitful disconnected from the church? How many of you have ever disconnected from the church? Because a lot of us go through this season at least at some point in our faith. Disconnected from the church and say, I have never felt closer to Jesus than I do right now. How many of you have disconnected from serving in ministry and thought to yourself, I have never felt joy in Christ the way that I feel it right now? 
Now, I bet what you began to feel is you began to feel a cold distance to things. You began to feel a cold distance to Christ. You began to feel an emptiness. You began to feel as though you had lost part of your identity and part of your purpose in living. Brothers and sisters, it's because you had. It's because you had. You demonstrate your identity in Christ through connection with his body. Through connection, through his ministry, through the accomplishment of his mission. It is not optional for us to be a member of the church. It is not optional for us to serve in the church. These are not options that we have the privilege of making. This is not our decision to make. It has been made for us. If God has called you from your sin, he has called you into his church. It is not our decision. But not only is that not our decision, if you'll turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 12. It is also not our decision to determine our own value. It is not our decision to ascribe to ourselves the worth that we believe that we have. Read verse 16. Now we could have made the same argument from verse 15 and vice versa, but I'm just choosing to do it this way. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye... I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In other words, Paul said, if the ear looks at the eye, or not looks at the eye, that's kind of ironic, huh? Paul makes this language kind of complicated sometimes. <laughs> if the ear identifies the eye as being more valuable, and the ear thinks, well, I don't have all the brilliant color that the eye has. I don't have the light of the eye. I don't have the expression of the eye. I don't have the seeing power of the eye. I can't see my wife or see my kids. I don't have that power because I'm not the eye, so I must be worthless. Let me just go over and be by myself and do nothing. Paul says, you don't have that ability. You don't have the privilege to assign to yourself wrongly and arbitrarily your own worth. You don't have that ability because Christ has already proclaimed your worth. Christ wanted so badly to build his kingdom with you that he came and he gave his life and bought you for the price of his blood. He has already assigned to you a worth that is transcendent above anything you can even comprehend. You don't get to decide what you're worth. Christ has decided that for us. But there's a lot of ear disease in the church, isn't there? There's a lot of ear disease in the church. We look at people that are particularly gifted, and we think, I'm just not gifted like them. So what good would I be? We do nothing. We look at people that are having tremendous impact, and we think, I could never impact people the way that they do. And so we impact no one. We hear someone teach, and we think, I could never teach like that. And yet God has been calling you to teach for years, and we think, and you're not teaching anybody. There's a lot of ear disease in the church where we look at other people, and we look at ourselves, and we deem ourselves un inadequate and unable and insufficient to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. And so as a result, we don't do anything. We stay on the back row, and when someone makes a joke, when somebody brings it up, we, we make an uncomfortable joke about it and get ourselves out of that situation as quickly as possible. 
Why? Because we have looked at ourselves and we have decided I'm worthless to the church. I bring no value to any of this. Brothers and sisters, that's not your decision to make. It's not your decision to decide what you're not worth. Christ has decided that for us. And what we need to understand is that just because the ear identified the eye as more valuable, it did not exonerate the ear from its responsibilities. It did not absolve the ear from the responsibility of hearing. The eye, the ear, even though it was not an eye, still had the responsibility of hearing whether he felt good about it or not. Whether he was confident about it or not. Whether he saw himself as valuable or not. The ear still has responsibility to the body. Brothers and sisters, just because you have wrongly and arbitrarily defined yourself as worthless does not absolve you from the responsibility that you have to the church of God and in the kingdom of God. You are still responsible. You are still called. You are still living under the authority of the head and under the authority of the word that the head has given us. And the word says that we must serve the body. Imagine with me one day that you are bowing at the judgment seat of Christ. You entered into his presence and as soon as you entered into his presence you fell on your face instinctively. And pointedly, Jesus looks down at you and he asks, why didn't you serve in my church? You look up at Jesus and you say, Jesus, I just wasn't a teacher like the other guy. I just didn't have the energy of the other lady in kids' praise. I just wasn't as articulate as the preacher. I wasn't as confident in my evangelism. And Jesus looks down back, at, back down at you and he asks a clarifying question. And he says, so you felt inadequate. You felt insecure. You felt unable. And you look back and you say, yes, Jesus, exactly. I just never found my niche. I just never found my sweet spot. Jesus looks back down at you and says, you were inadequate. You were always inadequate. That's why I came. You were inadequate to save yourself, and I did that. Did you think I would save you and not secure you for the ministry? Did you not believe my promise when I said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age? That's when you're serving children and teaching adults. That's when you're working in the prison ministry or you're going to Swaziland. Did you not think that I would be there for you? Did you not think that I would, did you think I would call you and not equip you, call you and not prepare you? I wanted you to take a step of faith so that I could take and demonstrate my faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, you are inadequate for the ministry. Every one of us is. We are inadequate to accomplish on our own what Christ has called for us to accomplish. But that does not absolve us from the responsibility to do it. Because it is not by our power that we serve. It is not by our wisdom that we go. It is by the power and authority and sufficiency of Christ that we go and serve in the body. And he is not inadequate. And he is not unable. And he is not insufficient. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Can I just be honest with you for a second? We don't need you to be the person that you're comparing yourself to. We don't need that. We don't need you to do as many things as she does. We don't need you to be the dynamic teacher that he is. 
We don't need you to be the energetic leader that she is. We don't need that from you. What we need is your faithfulness. That's all. Just your faithfulness. And every one of us has that within reach. Every one of us has faithfulness within reach. Did you know that right now there's an urgent need in our nursery for workers? Praise God, he has so blessed us with so many babies. Did you know that if we had 25 couples or 50 people that would commit to serving in the nursery, they would have to serve four weeks in a year? Four times in 52. Four. Just one hour during the Sunday. Well, maybe a little longer. I preach a little longer than 30 minutes, but maybe an hour and a half. Four times a year. And every baby in our church would have specific individual care that you can bring them. It doesn't take a lot of training to do that. It doesn't take a lot of brilliance to do that. I'm a parent. And you don't have to be a woman to do that. Don't our babies need men of God in their lives, starting from the earliest age? Don't they need men of God that show them what it means to wash feet like Jesus did? What better way to wash feet than to change diapers? You see, we have in this room right now a workforce large enough to exceed every need that we have right now as a church. We don't need you to do everything. We just need you to do something. We have sitting in the chairs under the sound of my voice a workforce large enough to exceed every need that we have as a church. I'm talking missions. I'm talking about inner city uh, soup kitchens, I'm talking about nursery, I'm talking about kids, I'm talking about teenagers, teaching. We got it in here. We got the talent. And God has brought all of us to this point for such a time as this. We don't need you to do everything just to do something. Something. You are inadequate. But he isn't. And he is not going to betray you. And we are going to train you. And we are going to walk with you through it. And we are going to step beside you and not let you do this by yourself. That's the whole idea in this anyway. Now, why don't we have those decisions to make? I think verse 18 answers that. Verse 18 says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them as he chose. Now, this is awesome. God says the reason you can't make the decision about being in the body is I've already made that decision for you. I chose. I arranged. The reason that you can't make the decision about your worth, I already made that decision for you. I chose. I arranged. I placed. I did that. You don't get to do it because I've already done it. That in other words... That God has given every Christian the exact gift and exact ability and exact experiences that they need to accomplish what he has for them to accomplish with their lives. That all of you have exactly what you need, exactly the knowledge that you need to be faithful to Christ, to bring God glory with your life right now. And not only that, but he says arrange. He says that you, you, have, you have been placed together with the right people in the right environment at the right time to accomplish exactly what I have for you to accomplish. That God in his sovereignty has placed us together as a church family for the purpose of his glory. And he has not done that accidentally. 
And he has not done that incidentally. It doesn't catch him off guard that those of you that are here this morning are here. None of that is surprising to God. He knew that you were here. He knew that you were coming today. He knew that you were on the fence about something. And in his sovereignty and by his grace, he has brought you together to hear these words at this moment on this day. See, 1 Peter talks about how that Christ is building his church out of living stones. You know who those living stones are? Us. That Christ is building his church out of us. He is like a, a, a master mason. He is taking this stone and this stone and he is perfectly placing them in his walls. Not one of them misplaced. Not one of them out of place. Not one of them mistaken. All of them purposefully laid perfectly for this moment at this place. Just look around the church and praise God for one another this morning. Praise God for one another this morning. None of you are here by accident. God has perfectly equipped you to be powerfully used by him. Perfectly. This is what verse 11 is saying. Verse 11 says what? The Spirit gives to you, and he apportions to you the gifts according to his wisdom, according to his sovereignty. That you have been perfectly given by God to be powerfully used by God. That's an amazing thought. And none of you have all the spiritual gifts. If you've ever taken a spiritual gifts test and you got them all, you took it wrong. Billy Graham, he don't have all the spiritual gifts. Martin Luther didn't have all the spiritual gifts. Augustine, not all the spiritual gifts. Outside of Jesus, nobody's got that. But you have what you need. And why would God not give you all of the spiritual gifts? He built you to be dependent. He built you not as the body, as Christ said, but as a member of the body. He built you to be inadequate in and of yourselves, but perfectly adequate when you connect with the body under the head. That when you come together under the body, under Christ, with the other Christians, and you bring what you bring to the table, and they bring what they bring to the table, and vice versa, and on and on and on, that when you bring all of that together, it connects to create this unstoppable force for the gospel. You were created inadequate. See, every Christian was created with both limitations and specializations. Limitations and specializations. I love working with teenagers. I love preaching. And children terrify me. They terrify me. I'm getting a little better now that I have one. Maybe two will make it twice as good. But even as long as I can remember, going in and I could preach to a thousand people and not be nervous... You can bring me in with a, a group of five-year-olds, and I'm trembling. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say to them? That's okay. I'm limited. All of us are. I am not a gifted evangelist. I'm not. I, I just don't have that gifting on my life. That's okay. I still have the responsibility of evangelism. I still have the responsibility to call the people to the gospel. I have that responsibility, but that's not my gifting. That's okay. I'm more specialized. You are too. You have limitations, and that's all right. God equipped you with limitations. That why, that's why you connect with me and with the person beside you and beside them. We need all of us to come together, bringing our limitations to this place and our specializations to this place for the movement of the gospel. But not only has God specifically equipped and gifted us to be powerfully used by him, but he has specifically and sovereignly placed us to be powerfully used by him. 
Again, in verse 18, he says, arranged. Chosen and arranged. In other words, God's thinking, he's like, yeah, one of these, and one of those, and one of these. That God has in his big church, capital C, global church, all of the Christians that he needs to accomplish his work. And then I believe that he has done that in the local level. That in the local church, at Iron City Baptist Church, we have every single person that we need with every single gifting that they need to accomplish exactly what God has for us to accomplish. If you will serve. If you will step up. If you will look past your limitations into your specialization, say, I ain't got much to offer, but I offer this. This is what I have, and this is yours. How do you know? How does God typically place us? He typically places us by opening doors, doesn't he? He Matter of fact, I am standing right here preaching right now simply because a youth pastor left our church 10 years ago. And there was a door, and I stepped through that door. No idea. Then there was another door, and I stepped through that one. And another one, and I stepped through that one. And another one, and hey, here I am. God bless you. And I bet if you look back over the course of your life and you think back, your life is really a series of doors. And God has brought you to where he's brought you by opening up doors. And as we walk through these doors in our lives and as we walk through these doors in our faith, they are usually scary. And they are usually intimidating. But remember what we said when we talked about Esther. That moments of fear are opportunities of faith. And some of us have never served in the church because we've always been afraid. I'm asking you to put that unbelief behind you and take a step of faith this morning. Go to the open door. If you'll open that little brochure that you've got this morning. Through there you'll see several needs. Different ranges of needs. And you know what all of them are? They are open doors to you. Open doors to you. Opportunities for you to take a step of faith and experience the sufficiency of Christ. If you go around our church family and you talk to Alan who's fixing to lead a Swaziland team. Or you talk to Tracy who works with kids. Or Tony who teaches. Or, or whomever you want to talk across the whole body that we have. And you would ask them, did you ever think that one day you could do this? You want know every one of them to say? Did I think I could take 10 people across the, con- across the ocean to another continent and lead other people in the gospel? No, I didn't see myself doing that. You know what every single one of them are? A testimony of Christ's sufficiency. A testimony of Christ's sufficiency. You will have a testimony of the sufficiency of Christ if you'll walk through the open door. If you will take a step of faith, put the unbelief behind you, and jump into the game, you will have a testimony of the sufficiency of Christ that you can't even fathom on this side. But in retrospect, you'll see the sovereignty of God all over it. See, the problem is, is if we don't do all of these things. If we don't step in, verse 17 happens. The whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? In other words, if the ear doesn't do what he does, or the foot doesn't do what he does, there's gaps in the body. And if you don't do what you do, if you don't bring your specializations to the table, and do what God has perfectly equipped you to do, and perfectly placed you to accomplish, if you don't bring that to the table, there are gaps in the body. You see, a beautiful eye is most effective when paired with a healthy ear. 
We need you to jump into the body so that we can be most effective in pushing back the lostness of Calhoun County and to the ends of the earth. We need you to jump in so that we can disciple children. We need you to jump in so that we can disciple teenagers. We need you to jump in so that God will send us more Bible, word-hungry adults that we can teach. We need you to jump in. To just be entirely honest with you this morning, our church cannot continue on its current trajectory. It can't. We have seen remarkable growth in attendance. We've seen remarkable growth in worship attendance especially. I think it's, we've grown by more than 100 on average over the last two years. But we've seen no growth in volunteers. And if this continues on, you can imagine that the tower is going to get top heavy and it's going to, and it's going to topple. That if we continue on our current trajectory, we're going to self-destruct, brothers and sisters. And I think all of us together this morning, we love the gospel too much, and we love our church too much to let that happen. We've got to get you in the game. We don't need you to do what you can't do. We only need you to do what you were equipped to do. And we're going to come beside you. And we're going to stand with you in the trenches. And we're going to do this together, shoulder to shoulder. No light getting through, pursuing the enemy. Chasing him down and striking the lostness out of this earth. Stakes are high this morning. We can't back down. We can't fail. This morning, my invitation to you is twofold. Some of you are, are serving already. And you know that God has called you to do what you're doing, and you've done it for a time, and maybe right now you're in a hard season, and right now you're discouraged, and right now you're even on the edge of quitting. What I'm going to ask you to do is to look at the front of that booklet and to write your name down, even if you're already serving, and write it down as a recommitment, and bring it to the altar, and pray that God would bring workers beside you, and pray that God would show himself sufficient again, or pray that God would give you the perseverance that you need to endure. Others of you are not serving. Others of you, you know what God's been calling you, perhaps exactly what he would have for you to do. Look through there, write it down this morning, and bring it and leave it at the altar. Leave your recommitment cards and your commitment card at the altar. Say, God, this is what I commit to doing. We're not just going to throw you in there. We're going to equip you. We're going to train you. We're going we're to work you in there. But you know what God's calling you to do. Some of you, you need to take it home, and you need to pray about it for a little while. That's okay, as long as you still do it. It's okay. Take it home. Pray. Pray now. Pray that God, spend the invitation time, pray. God, show me where you most need me. Show me where you intend for me to serve. Some of you have been visiting for a long time, and you've never joined. And I want you to know we love you, and we're praying for you. But if God has called you to this body, we need you. We need you. And today, it's time to jump in. Today it's time to commit as a family, to commit as a person, to joining in with like-minded brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel. Today, do not be absolved from your responsibility. Let me pray for us. Heavenly